Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. My first car uh, was a 1985 Ford LTD station wagon. Blue. The parts that weren't rusty were blue. Uh, Blue and brown was kind of its color scheme. Um, Served as well as could be expected in 1997 when I was a senior at Lincoln Christian University. Um, And then afterwards, I moved to Urbana, Illinois, and... As used cars often go, this one kind of started to give up the ghost and broke down. Uh, I, I lived, I don't know, a half mile from, maybe a mile from where I worked as a, as a waiter. That wasn't too bad. I could walk to work, and I did for, for months. Um, and, and there was a church, there was a single church in walking distance, so my choice of churches was extremely limited. Faith Church of the Nazarene was like three blocks away, Nothing else was remotely close, so I went to Faith Church of the Nazarene in Urbana, Illinois. Um, Having just graduated from Bible college, I was a little disillusioned by organized religion and Christianity. Now, that's, that's, that's a loaded statement. That doesn't mean that I hated God. That doesn't mean that I wasn't a Christian. Um, Bible college is one of those things where it's, it's super useful. I love it. I'm glad that I went. You get to see everything. Sometimes that's the good and the bad. Sometimes there's a don't do it this way. Um, and, and so you get, you get to see all of it. Your friends that are off preaching on weekends at churches come back and they tell you the victories, but they vent to you the horror stories. And as many Bible college graduates, I was a little burned out on, on the church and organized Christianity. And, 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 it, was, and it turned out that this, this, maybe the car broke down because it was God's will. Because I, I could walk to that church. It's the only church, again, in walking distance. Walked there one Sunday morning. And uh, one of the guys at the church, Bill, uh, Bill asked me, what are you doing here? And I said, my car broke down and I'm looking for a church. He said, well, I guess you found one. And I thought, well, who am I to argue with that? That seems a pretty bold statement. Uh, what he was doing and put me to work very quickly teaching a kid's Sunday school class. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I'd never taught Sunday school. I'd never worked with kids quite the learning curve, and, and it was good for me because these kids, and, in, I, and I'm not unconvinced that I didn't learn more studying for that Sunday school class than I did at Bible college, um, it, it, because it was so practical. It gave me a chance. It was so nice not, not just be a, a Bible college student, but not to be the preacher, not to be... In not, not to be in any of the decision-making process. And it was nice to be a, a member of the church who didn't have responsibility on him. And, and I, learned, I, I learned a lot. It was a new way of seeing the faith for me. Uh, and and one, I think one of the valuable lessons I learned, this was a great church, very old school. For those that aren't familiar with the Nazarene church, they can be pretty old school. And, 
and, and, and looking at, at faith through, through their eyes and, and, and kind of seeing things from a slightly, and I like, let me be very clear, I like the Nazarenes doctrinally. I like almost everything that they do. There's a couple places I disagree, but, but it's, it's, it's on minor issues. In an age of seeker-sensitive churches, what I appreciated about this church is they gave me what I was really looking for. They weren't out to make me happy. They weren't out to have the biggest church in town. That preacher, Jeff, what a wonderful mentor he was to me. They were out to be biblical, uh, and they didn't care who they offended. You know, let's, for just a minute, talking about what the church is, um, if, if you need counseling, while I'm happy to listen to you, there are people that have actually taken counseling classes that can probably help you better than I can. That doesn't mean I'm not willing to listen but I'm not a counselor. I've, I've never taken a counseling class in my, in my life. Um, if you need a social group, we're happy to be your friends, but that's not the purpose of the church. If you're bored, there are more exciting places to go. I think faith is exciting, but the purpose isn't to keep you entertained. Um, the church provides direction. The church is a compass and it and not a and not a broken compass that spins everywhere. I have in the in the uh, in the front of my car, I have a compass, one of those compasses that you put in the front of the car, and and I put it there and it's broken. And I put and, and I put it there entirely knowing it was broken, because I I I put things on my dashboard sometimes, and when you go around a curve, they slide all over the car, and I entirely put this broken compass on the dashboard just to keep things from sliding around. That's the only reason it's there. It doesn't tell a direction. Um, came from the, it came from Pam's old car. The church is not a broken compass. It points towards Jesus. That's the only purpose of the church. The job of the church, and, and again, the church isn't the building, right? It's the people. In and out of this building, we are to point to Jesus. The problem with the church today, and, and I mean overall, it could be, could be this, I don't mean this church in particular, just the church in general. The problem with the church in general is that too often we're just not doing a very good job pointing to Jesus. We're pointing at everything else and trying to be seeker sensitive and trying not to offend people. But Jesus was terribly offensive on earth when he was here. He offended so many people he got himself killed. And we're so desperate to not offend people. And I wonder then if we're pointing at the real Jesus. We have to work on our relationship with the real Jesus. So allow me to share some areas that concern our relationship with God. As we close this this year of talking about holiness, I want to look, we we looked at this once before earlier this year, but I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 again, and close on this on this note. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am. This is hopefully going to be just reminder stuff today, but we need it. We are 
be holy is to be set apart to him. We're separated to him. Uh, the, the Hebrew word kadesh is holy. The Greek word hagios is how we translate that. And, it doesn't, and again, I just want to remind you, just in case somebody's missed it to this point, it doesn't mean be perfect. It means to be to belong to, to be separated to. I, I remember our current dog is named Taffy. Um, we got her, I don't know, somewhere in the eastern, I don't remember all my towns. We drove to the, Pam found the dog online, and we, we, we drove to the eastern panhandle of the state, drove up through Maryland and back down, and, and went to this shelter there, and and uh, saw the dog, and decided we wanted the dog, and, and uh, uh, she's she's a good dog. I I enjoy the dog. Um, and then from the point that we said that we'll we'll take her, she's ours. It was still two weeks before we could go back and get her. They had to what they they, they neuter the dogs or and and uh, run them through their their uh, uh, vaccinations or whatever. And there's a process. You don't just walk in, grab a dog, and go home. There was a couple more weeks before Pamela could go back and pick the dog up. During that two week period, the dog. The dog was set apart to us, right? It was our, nobody else could come and say, oh, I want that dog. The, dog. the dog had been claimed by us, but she wasn't living with us yet. We're a lot like that, aren't we? Earth is kind of a shelter. If we're Christians, we are set apart to God. We're going to live with him one day. We're, we're his. We're, we're set apart to him. We belong to him. We're not there yet living with him, but that doesn't mean we're not his. Holiness means to belong to God, to be his, to be set apart and separated to him. God is holy. God is sealed. The, uh, you know, the, the big diff- one of the, uh, the obvious big difference between God and all these Greek gods, Norse gods of mythology, is that they were very subject to the events of the world. You could trick the Greek gods. There's so many stories about the Greek gods being tricked. The Norse gods were subject to the to the will of men in some ways, and, and their the destruction of their world and, and, and their mythology, their Ragnarok cycle, shows that their world could fall apart. Our God is not sub. We don't get to vote on what, and that's our world. So much thinks that our world so much thinks that you can outvote God, that you can decide for God what is good or what is bad, what is right or what is wrong, that, that God is somehow subject to the dictates of culture. Our God is set apart from this world. He's separated from it. This world doesn't control him, has no say in who he is and how he acts. And if we are to be separated to him and holy to him, we are equally otherworldly. The opposite of holiness is the Hebrew word karat, which is exile, separated from the tribe. But I'm reminded then, the opposite of karat then becomes in many ways, if not holy, there's, the, there's, a, there's a Greek word kaleo. Now, I like, kaleo is the, uh, is the first word I ever learned in Greek. And they, and they teach you it as your example verb because it's completely regular. The first thing is that it's not an exception. We have so many words in English, right? So many verbs that are not, not regular. The past tense of run is not runned. It should be, <laughs> but it's ran. Um, past tense of is not growed, although some people say that, certainly, but it's grew or grown, depending upon the tense. Um, I like Most of us like normal 
normal words that make sense and, 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 and don't have the exceptions, and kaleo was that verb that they taught us. So kaleo, and the other reason they teach you kaleo is, well, it's the word call, and kaleo kind of look K-A-L-E-O. It looks like the word call. But from kaleo, well, we get the amazing Greek word ekklesia, which, yeah, it sounds familiar because we have the book Ecclesiastes, but ekklesia is the Greek word that we translate the church. Literally, it means those who've been called out of the world. And having been called out of the world, we are separated to God. It's a beautiful word. How are we called out? How are we separated to God? You know, in Exodus, we read that God's temple, or the tabernacle, that, that would foreshadow the temple, that the tabernacle is holy and separate and separated to God, and that it's special and it's treated differently. And we look, read that, and it would be very easy to read through Exodus and say, so what? We're not wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years following a, a, a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, eating manna, following this tent around. Um, but, but the tabernacle presaged the temple, and the temple came before us. We're, we're the temple. The, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but more than that, the church is the temple of God, and we are set apart to God consecrated, anointed, holy to him. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the Lord of your life, if you've been buried with him in baptism and you have accepted him as Lord, then you belong to him. You are his. You are holy to him. Those who are holy belong to him. And only those who are holy. And again, we we go back to what does it mean to be holy? It's not part-time. A lordship is not 40 hours a week. It's not Jesus is my boss. If he is Lord, he's always Lord. There's no time off. And, and this is, again, this is where, I've, I, this is where people do that re, redefinition. We just don't have the right to, to do that. I, I've had people tell me, well, my tithe is 3%. Now, let's be very clear on, on, on two things. You can give whatever you want to to the church. We're not telling you what you have to give. The New Testament doesn't command. But a tithe is 10% by definition, or it's not a tithe. And you, just, you can call it something different, but you don't have the right to say, well, this is my tithe. Just call it something else. We live in a world that says that wants the terminology and then doesn't want the same definition. And it causes mass confusion. Can, can you, and you know what I'm talking mean, everything. Can you imagine getting pulled over by the cops and, and for speeding? You're, you're doing 75 and a 45, and you're saying, well, your 75 is my 45. Do you imagine that that would fly? Because that's the world that we live in now. Well, I, identify, I identify as someone who was driving at 45 miles an hour. We, we don't consistently apply that <laughs> to things that matter, right? Or, or we should. And, and we can't do that with God. We don't, we don't have the right to tell God, well, I choose that this is what my definition of holiness is. I choose that you get Sunday morning, and, and when the weather's just not too nice to have fun and not too bad to stay home, you can have Sunday night and, and Thursday night Bible study. And, and we'll call that lordship. That's not how that works. But our world wants to do it that way. And people that call themselves Christians want to do it that way where they, they decide the terms that they will give God. But that's not lordship. And if we're biblical Christians, then lordship is pretty radical and he gets everything. Now, again, your, your version, 
what God is calling you to do is not the same as what he's calling me to do. So I don't want to make it sound like your life has to look like mine or mine has to look like yours or we all look like Mother Teresa or something like that. Everybody's faith is going to manifest differently, but we are all called to 100% lordship. Either he's 100% Lord or he's not. We are separated to him. And this is conscious to us. We get it. So, for those who are married, which is most people, anybody here would say that they accidentally got married? I gather that apparently in Vegas that might actually happen if you've had too much to drink, but by and large, uh, and I wouldn't, I, I don't know how the, how the legality on that works, but I'm, sh- I'm sure there are ways of getting around that if you got got a little drunk and, 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 and I, obviously terrible thing. If you, may, if you did something like that, that would be a horrible thing to do um, because marriage is not supposed to be an accident, right? The whole concept of marriage is it's deliberate. You deliberately made a choice to spend your life with someone else for better, for worse, till death do us part. It's not, it's not an accident. It's not supposed to be something that you accidentally fell into. Sin is not an accident. Let's be very clear on that, okay? You, there are mistakes that get made. I, every, everybody double books. Where, where they, they tell someone to do something for them, get that they told them, they scheduled something else, and then they realize that they're going to let somebody down. It's bad. It, 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 can, it can have some pretty drastic consequences. It is a mistake. I don't believe that that's on purpose. If you do it a lot, you know, Maybe something where you, where you're now called upon to make some better life decisions, like carry a calendar with you or something like that. Um, Pamela, this past week, uh, scheduled Callie to be dropped off at daycare and scheduled an oil change for the exact same time. Not a big deal. I was around. I can take Callie to daycare. Those kinds of accidents happen. That's not what we mean by sin. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is never a mistake. It's willfully rebelling against God. It's willfully doing wrong. Sin is not a mistake. Holiness is not a mistake either. It's not an accident. Holiness doesn't just happen. You don't just kind of stumble into holiness and, you know, just, oh, I've been going to church for a while. I guess I'm holy now. Holiness is a decision to be set apart to God um, to follow him. It takes effort. Some of the laws of science are pretty neat. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion, and objects at rest tend to stay at rest, unless acted upon by an outside force. The, the point being, provided that there's no gravity, which is an outside force, you know, if you're in deep space and you throw a tennis ball, theoretically it'll just keep going and going and going. Because it'll go forever, because it's not being acted upon. It'll just stay in motion. On earth, you roll a ball down, a, down, down, down the, the aisle of the church, it'll eventually come to a stop because it will be acted upon by gravity and friction. That'll slow it down. Boats, boats and rivers are the best example. They go downstream. If you want to go upstream, if you even want to stay where you're at, if the water's moving, that takes effort. Our spiritual lives take effort or will be pulled downstream. Church attendance is not... Sitting in a pew 
is not what we mean by effort. Um, Lord, Lord, didn't we attend church 50 weeks a year? And on Sunday nights and, 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 and Thursday night Bible study sometimes. Um, didn't we throw some money in the offering plate? It's not what makes us a Christian. I, it, it's not about attendance. You know, Pam and I have been to opera and opera before once or twice, and, and that doesn't make me an opera singer, that's for sure. Attending church weekly isn't what makes me a Christian. It's not about church attendance. We sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's not enough. It's not the decision, it's the going through with the decision. Every year I decide I'm going to be in better shape and I'm going to exercise. Make that decision every January 1st. It's my, my annual, the anniversary of my annual decision to get in shape is coming up. Still hasn't happened yet. I'm still. I still need more exercise. I still need to be in better shape. I still need to eat healthier. I, I, uh, 2020 wasn't a bad. With everything else shutting down, 2020 was the only year I maybe kind of vaguely got sort of in shape, and then 2021 I, I, I ruined it again. And um, something always seems to take precedence, doesn't it? Something always seems to get in the way. There's always an excuse for not eating healthy, for not exercising. You know, I. That happens too often with spiritual life. There's always something that gets in the way of reading the Bible. There's always something that gets... We could, we could put off prayer for a few hours today. We can do it later today. And then, you know, it's the end of the day and it's late. Now, God will forgive me. We'll do it tomorrow. We are told in the Bible to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Him. That's not an accident. It's not something you fall into. We don't wake up with a cross one day. We don't discover that we're a disciple one day. Now, somebody's going to say, Jason, you're, this sounds like an awful lot of emphasis on works, but we're saved by grace. Um, we, you know, once, once we're saved, we're saved. We're good, right? We don't have to do that again. But I, I, I certainly don't believe in that, and I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. Uh, if that was true, we could have quit after the book of Acts. Peter and Paul and James and John and Jude and whoever wrote Hebrews, all these writers spent time saying, now that you're a Christian, because all these letters were written to Christians, not to people who needed to become Christians. All of these letters from Romans to Jude, in Revelation even, were written to people not to tell them to become a Christian, but now that you're a Christian, here's how you are supposed to act. Here's what holiness looks like. would have been a waste of their time if it didn't matter. John chapter 14, Jesus says, those who love me will obey my commands. That's a pretty simple statement and a pretty bold one. And, and, and we're forced to ask that question, so if we don't obey his commands, where does that leave us? So we are reminded that not only are we separated to him, and that it's a conscious decision on our part, but it's obvious to the world. So I can think of a couple of girls that I knew back years ago. Um, uh, both... Both both had the same name, and I'm going to call them Kim, just in case one of them hears this broadcasted message. Um, the, both of them, at one point in our relationship, said, Jason, you do know that I'm a Christian, right? Now, in the one case, I had known Kim for five years, and I was stunned. I had no idea. She had never mentioned Jesus. She'd certainly never acted like Jesus in any way, shape, or form. I would have absolutely thought, I would have, I would have bet anything that she 
wasn't a Christian and was, was left with this. I don't know how to even respond to this. There's nothing in her life that's Christ-like she doesn't go to, that I know she doesn't go to church. Um, I, I, and now I feel a little embarrassed that I'm, I'm just kind of speechless, but I'm a little more embarrassed for her that I'm speechless. The other girl, uh, we'd been, uh, yeah, I like my comic books. I like my comic book stores. I like my board games for those that have seen my office and the local comic book store in southern Illinois. I uh, had a board game day on Thursday, and I was always there. That was my day off. And uh, this girl came in to play. She liked comic books and board games and, and, and her boyfriend and, and, and all these other people. And, and at some point in passing when she said, you know I'm a Christian, I said, well, yeah, that was obvious. She was the nicest person. She was fair. She was a good winner. She was a good loser. She was always Christ-like in her behavior. The only question that had ever been in my mind was, I wonder which church she goes to, because it was so obvious that Christ was in her life. It was so obvious. That Kim was a Christian. The other one, when she said, Jason, you know I'm a Christian, don't you? It didn't matter whether or not really I didn't know. It begged the question, I wonder if, if God agrees. When, when it's just not there. What are, we, are we redefining what it means to be a Christian? When they find out we're a Christian, they shouldn't be surprised. The world thinks that we're a bunch of hypocrites. And it's too easy to live up to that, down to that expectation. I think the reason the world thinks so poorly of the church is sometimes deserved if we're being honest. I'm talking about you individually, but we get it. The church of the U.S. in the 20, everybody that calls themselves Christians, there are a lot of scoundrels out there that are hurting the reputation. Not of you or me, because we don't matter, but of of Christ. They see little attempt at holiness. The world sees little attempt at holiness. They do see that we can be very smug and self-righteous. When we water down the gospel, we lose all respect. Uh, and it becomes pointless. There's no point giving people a false Messiah. Uh, that would be like if, it, if I'm sick and I'm legitimately sick, and I have cancer. I want the real medicine. I don't want candy that tastes good but doesn't fix the problem. And too many churches offer candy, spiritual candy, that tastes good but it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't address that we're called to be Christ-like. Christians are Christ-like. We're called to be holy, to be set apart to God. In First Peter chapter 2, Jesus is described as a stumbling block. And, the, and that's not an insult to him. And the church too often wants to tweak that. We don't want Jesus to be so offensive. So we'll put pillow, we'll, we'll strap pillows to this. You know, think of a cinder block with pillows strapped to it. What good is that cinder block now? You can't use it for a cinder block. You can't build with it. What's the purpose of a cinder you know, there, there, there was a British show that I liked that came out years ago called Coupling. Uh, and, and I remember this one scene from Coupling that the actor Jack Davenport is describing throw pillows on a sofa. And, and, in, and in his wisdom he says, what purpose does a throw pillow serve? Think about it. He says, you don't sit on them. You move them out of your way when you go to sit down. He says, centuries of design have created something soft to sit on. It doesn't need extra padding. He says, they're just little parasites 
that breathe our air, TV, and get in our way and have no function whatsoever. And he's right. I absolutely believe that about pillows on sofas. We've almost done the same with Jesus. If we're not care- when we water him down and soften his edges, we've taken away the purpose of Jesus. His goal isn't we're not made to stay in this world. His goal isn't to make us comfortable in this world. His goal is to prepare us for the next. And the more wicked and destitute this world gets, the more uncomfortable his message should get for those who are comfortable with this world. Jesus is a stumbling stone. He has rough edges. He should offend. And if we're Christ-like, people are going to hate us. They're not going to like us. They're not going to like our message. If everybody likes what in today's day and age, if everybody likes you, if everybody likes your message, if everybody likes what you're saying, if you are friends with everybody in the world, you're probably doing it wrong. Because Jesus was hated. And if we're being... Now, that doesn't mean go out and purposely start fights. It's obviously not what I'm saying. But if you are Christ-like, you're not going to make everybody happy. And I know that hurts. I'm one of these people that if, I, if somebody gets mad at me, I, I, I tell people I don't, I don't lose sleep over it. I absolutely do. There's the truth. I go home and I, I feel bad and I agonize. And did I... You know, did I root? But, but the Bible reminds me that there will always be people that will, that will be offended by Christ. If I'm Christ-like then there's going to be people that are upset with me. As long as I'm acting Christ-like and not being, being mean or, or abusive for the sake of just being mean, um, being, being snarky or, or being a jerk just for the sake of that, as long as I'm being Christ-like and loving, there will be people that will still hate me for doing it. If I am set apart to him, they will see Jesus in my life. Some people will see that that stone is worth building on. Uh, we are his, and some will, tr- will stumble over it, but we are his witnesses. We are his plan. That may seem crazy to put his plan in our hands, but that's, that's what we're called to be. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. So uh, I'll close with, with these statistics that you've probably heard. Um, the, the baby builder's generation, if I'm getting my right, was two-thirds Christian. 65, 66% Christian. Uh, the, the next generation, uh, the baby boomers, 35-ish, 33, 35, one, one-third, half, cut the numbers in half, of, of the boomers generation can, are, are considered Christian. The busters, my generation, half again, down to 15%. The bridgers, they say, are 4 or 5% Christian, only a third they say that 85% of kids that are raised in a Christian home walk away from the faith, which is a terrifying statistic. But I think I kind of get it. I had a friend that once, you know, his mom had, had, had he, he's a Christian, his mom had vented, though, but he wasn't at one time, and his mom had vented, I don't understand why my kids don't come to church. He was the one that said, she only goes twice a year and puts a 20 in the offering plate both times. It wasn't important to her. And we all caught that. We all saw that growing up, that it really wasn't that big of a deal to her. That goes back to exercise being a big deal to me, but I don't get around to it. She said that the church was a big deal to her. She never got around to it and then couldn't understand why her kids didn't exercise accordingly. 
If they don't see Jesus in our lives, why would they want anything to do with him? If he's not our top priority, why would our kids make him a top priority? I don't mean to be depressing. We can bury our heads in the sand and, and, and shut ourselves behind the walls of this church and shut out the outside world and just pat ourselves on the back and say, keep up the good work. And preach happy messages. Think that that's what people want. People just want happy messages. Up the good work. People come in from the streets and, and totally new. And we, we love to hear that God loves us. We don't like to hear that God wants us to change. The Bible speaks of the covenant love between God and his people. God expects great things from you. He expects you to obey him. And if we love him, we will. Now again, somebody's going to say, but, but is, this saved? is this saved by works, Jason? Aren't we saved by grace? So God is gracious and he's loving and he expects lots from us. Now the good news is he doesn't save us based on this. His, what's required to become a Christian is, is precious low, but he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't expect, he doesn't demand this much of us. What he expects and what he demands are different. If he demanded this much, ooh, none of us would get in. That's, that's what cults, cult, cults raise, cults are when you, when you twist his, his words out of, and, and demand all these, all these things. But he also doesn't keep When you lower expectations, no one is elevated. No one wins when we lower expectations. Nobody tries. And, and, and what God wants us to do is be Christ-like. No, we're not going to achieve it in this lifetime in its entirety, but it doesn't mean that, that the effort is, is futile. It's not the end result that matters. It's the growth process that matters. We're becoming Christ-like. And, and, and where you're changing in your life and becoming Christ-like is not always going to be the same as mine because God's going to be working on different things in our, in our lives. That's a good thing. We're called to not to have passive Christianity, but to put our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength into it. The world must see Jesus in us, or they will never know him. Our hymn of decision is hymn number 193. The question is, have you decided to be wholly his? If If you want to be holy, you must be wholly his. If you haven't made that decision, I'd like to talk with you. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.